MSW Media. The rule of law is not just some lawyer's turn of phrase. It is the very foundation of our democracy. The essence of the rule of law is that like cases are treated alike. That there not be one rule for Democrats and another for Republicans, one rule for the powerful, another for the powerless, one rule for the rich and another for the poor, or different rules depending upon one's race or ethnicity. To serve as Attorney General at this critical time is a calling I am honored and eager to answer. So yeah, now it's clean up on aisle 45 time. And for a long while yet, it is going to be clean up on aisle 45. Hello everyone and welcome to Clean Up on Aisle 45. It's Wednesday, September 21st. This is episode 88. 88 miles per hour uh, <laughs> of Clean Up on Aisle 45, the podcast. And uh, Andrew, we have gotten in the last two weeks so many new patrons to the show that we're actually going to have to split the reading up in the first and second half of the show. I hope we have to do this every episode. Yeah, thank you so much. I don't know if that was a uh, result of us getting the show out early, um, but uh, but either way, we're going to continue to to try and get these uh, episodes to patrons uh, a little bit ahead of time. And uh, in any event, if you've chosen to, to support the show over at patreon.com slash aisle45pod, A-I-S-L-E-4-5-P-O-D, Thank you so much. We really, really appreciate it. We love seeing the support come out for the show. Yeah, it, it's truly the reason that we're able to do this yeah. show. Because <laughs> as you know, besides being a real life lawyer, Andrew has a whole other show, <laughs> Opening Arguments. I have two whole other shows. You have a couple of things going on in your <laughs> and life a, as well. <laughs> and the network. Uh, and so to, to be able to take time and break down these things with a little law geekery for everybody... Uh, it does take time and it takes the production. It has costs. And so it is because of our patrons that we're able to do this. It's just like think of K like NPR, right? Like it's it's your contributions that make that make it possible. So thank you Two. this is the first half. We're going to do the second half and the second half of the show. Leslie Nope, <laughs> who is my spirit animal, by the way. Jim Dingus, Matthew, Sue Christopher Clayton, Michael Mitchell, Derek Parks, S. Birdstone, Stephen, Crunchwrap Subpoena, and the Double Deposition Burrito with Cheese, <laughs> Don <laughs> Kelly, Maria May, Susan, uh, Michael Olkin, A Sauce Packet, Terms, Matthew Daly, Jason Stanford, ba uh, Rod, Rod Bibbo, Travis Christopher West, Ray Cosby, Matthew Passmore, Taylor Finley, Sloan Russell, Sloan, dear, <laughs> hurry along now, Vanita Mishra, Kate Greenberg, Margaret Horner, Stuart Turnbull, hey, Stuart, Nikki Flynn-Jones, Patricia V. Williams-Roby, Jill McAmey, Ben McNabb, Misha Clover, Constance Rip, Mary Shenton, Patrick Bracken, Chris Patton, Nancy Goodenough, Philip Kosarak. Joe Mercadante. Mercadante? Yeah. I came, I saw, I left. I came back with a search warrant and a taint team. <laughs> that is such a good name. <laughs> what is that in Latin? We'll have to suss that out later. Adrian Crosby, Stephen Podicar, Robin Retstat O'Hearn, and Fort Teaser. That is the first half. That's just the first half <laughs> of our new patrons. Thank you. Thank you so much. Patreon.com slash aisle45pod. You make it possible. Whoo! Now we're going to talk about what the fuck we've all been waiting for. <laughs> Andrew, I put out a little <sighs> survey on Twitter. I said, mm. what do you think? You think that, because, uh, you know, when they did their, emer their, their motion, not emergency, just a motion to stay part of Judge Cannon's uh, ruling, it was very narrow. It was just yep. this very slender little bit, uh, even though uh, the rest of it was bullshit, too. They, you know, the jurisdiction, the standing, the fact that you need a special master at all for any of this shit. It was, they said, look, just this tiny thing. And I, I wondered, and you wondered, and we, I think we talked about this too on the last show, uh, two weeks ago. Will they make a broader appeal uh, uh, to the 11th Circuit where they actually appeal all of the stuff that's wrong with her ruling instead of the very narrow thing? 80, I think 82% of the people thought that the, 
they were going to make uh, the Department of Justice here was going to make an appeal, like a, a broader, a less, you know, less narrow appeal. Uh, but they didn't. They 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 added a little bit from the uh, from the her ruling, her denial, which she didn't have to make. She just could have kept her mouth shut uh, and and forced them to appeal. But they added that little bit where they said, yeah, you know where we have to share these classified documents with Trump's lawyers, some of whom might be witnesses in cases. Yeah, we're going to also appeal that little bit. So it's the narrow appeal that they did the stay on, that they based the stay on, plus this other little thing that she put in her denial the night before the filing came out, which is why I think it took about eight hours to, to for this to hit the docket, was so that they could add that part where she wanted the special master and the Trump lawyers to be able to have access to these 103 or so classified documents. So what uh, what did you think, Andrew? Uh, did you think it was going to be a, a, a more of a broad appeal on, on other issues? Or did you think that they would just carve out this tiny bit like this? So I, I, I'm, I'm with you. Let me kind of parse out procedurally where we are, because I think this is really, really important for the listeners to understand. And the language, I think, is is kind of hard to use here. So understand that there is a full interlocutory appeal of the entire order by Judge Eileen Cannon, Federalist Society weirdo, that is that has been docketed and is pending before the 11th Circuit, right? That was made uh, a week and a half ago, instantly, as soon as the ruling came down. And so the DOJ has reserved for itself the right to contest any and all of that insane order. What was filed Friday night... <laughs> And, 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 you know, yet again, like trying to time this is just not working out right. Like I'm, I'm a, when I see something coming in on Eastern standard time, I think it's going to come in either before 6 PM or at 1155. And mm. the DOJ just likes to keep it, you know, likes to keep me keep guessing. Keep us on our toes. So this I, came I figured in around, I'd yeah. <laughs> check back at nine and no, like seven yeah. o'clock it was there. Yep. Um, so what was filed on Friday is a, re a request for a partial stay, is the the narrow request that you've described. And I, I, I was a little surprised that it was just cabined to the, essentially, and that's what really analytically what we're going to talk about, is that it's basically cabined to the review of the documents bearing uh, confidentiality markers, the 102 or so uh, of those documents. Um, and part of the reason that I was surprised by that is that uh, it, it it felt like, you know, it's a, doing a little bit of reading between the lines, but but it felt like the DOJ's uh, pleadings, uh, particularly its response brief uh, before Judge Cannon uh, kind of had a sense of like, hey, you know, we're, we're, we're thinking about going to the 11th Circuit with more than just, uh, you know, this particular aspect of your order when we seek relief. So you're talking about that 38 page one that we were uh, all waiting for the indeed. it did come out at 1159. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And that one <laughs> yeah. that would took more shots at both Trump and Judge Cannon than I think any previous uh, DOJ filing. So that's sort of where I was leading. I, I will tell you from a strategic standpoint, this makes a lot of sense um, as as uh, as you highlighted on the uh, Mueller she wrote Twitter account uh, this by, by keeping the issue incredibly narrow, we now have a response date of Tuesday, right? So uh, yesterday, if you're listening to this live or, uh, you know, the day after, if you're getting it early as a patron, um, I will tell you, I have had the 11th Circuit page up on Pacer, and this case has been broken all day from, you know, since the morning. It has to be traffic overload. It can't be any other thing. You get that like, you know, there are a couple of reasons why this could be borked, but really it's just everybody is clicking on the 11th circuit on a, yeah. on, a on a Sunday. <laughs> but it also conveniently makes it really hard to file amicus briefs. Uh, <laughs> that is true. Um, it, it, we have noted that, you know, the foremost experts in this issue uh, filed an amicus brief on behalf of previous Republican governors. And that was 
uh, authored in part uh, by my former partner, uh, Norm Eisen, who does just fantastic work with uh, with with crew and, and with several of the good governance organizations. And Judge Cannon denied the motion for leave to submit the amicus brief, which is ridiculous. Um, yeah, unheard of, it, really. It, it, it's it just is unheard of. For, for, from academic, like you always, yeah, you deny amicus briefs from, you know, Captain McCrazy Town who signs with his like high school yearbook ring or whatever the fuck yeah, that guy yeah. is doing. But like when scholar, right, opening arguments submitted an amicus brief of the Michael Flynn case and like that one passed the threshold, right? So It was accepted, yeah. Yeah, of course, and cited. We got it in the footnote. A good judge will take it and read it and consider it. A yeah. shitty judge will take it and circular file it. Right. Uh, but this is, I don't even know what this is. It this takes is... levels of hacker because I, I think what she wanted to do was the, so the Eisen brief, I don't think she, I don't think she really wanted to address the, the standing I mean, she, issue. Yeah. The standing issue. And, and, and she, she glossed over the jurisdictional stuff too. She kept yep. repeating equitable jurisdiction and the DOJ just kept arguing oh, it over and over again. <laughs> um, it's so, so talking about going back to interlocutory um, appeal on the docket as soon as the denial came out and then there's something called emergency stay yeah. right which yeah. hasn't been filed is has it no that's what that's what this is right this is a request for so so here's the thing but is then that and so my question is isn't that then what the chief justice of this circuit would decide administratively like an administrative stay so this is not an administrative stay because it is not a stay of an 11th circuit order Right. Mm. That's one of the forms of relief that that could come after it. So let's kind of track the timeline. Judge Cannon issues her order appointing a special master immediately upon the issuance of that order due to the clever pleading by the Department of Justice. I talked about this on opening arguments. Um, it was cast in such a way that made it appealable as an interlocutory order. And 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 I will tell you, it has to do with the way that the DOJ briefed the issue, right? Yeah, um, uh, we were. I remember going over that. There yeah. were certain things that they did that they threw in there that made it. Uh, they it, clarified on the record this is in, in, injunctive relief. So yeah, applicable now, to an interlocutory appeal. And then yep. I know we talked about our concern was with the narrow appeal that if everything else were allowed to stand, every Tom, Dick, and fuckface would ask for a special master like Stuart Rhodes did. It's going gonna, gonna to happen, of you course. You can't not appeal that piece. Right. But in order to keep this on a quick pace and simpler to rule on, and, and by the way, I, I spoke to uh, Brandon Van Grack, and mm. I spoke to uh, Daniel Alonso, and I spoke to Andrew Weissman, and they said because the, the fact that they gave what you were just talking about Donald Trump and his lawyers and his team only until Tuesday at noon to 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 reply that expediency is because this request is so narrow because it's one issue and we're going to we're going to talk about that. So l let me just make 100 percent certain because uh, I know you've got it. I just want to make sure all our listeners have the timeline. The Judge Eileen Cannon, Federalist Society weirdo, issues the order appointing the special master. The government then does two things. They immediately note an appeal to the 11th Circuit. That's an interlocutory appeal because the case is still ongoing, right? That's saying, hey, we are appealing this chunk of your order under the federal rules, right? Because we can. Uh, and uh, at the same time, remember that appealing a ruling does not stop that ruling from going into effect. In order to stop a ruling from going into effect, you have to then ask the court to stay its rulings or ask the court to which you are appealing to stay that lower court's ruling, right? And so, so that's, that's when what, they filed the motion for the stay. That's exactly right. And so that's what the DOJ did. They went back to Judge Cannon and they're like, all right, you ruled against us. We think you're a fucking idiot. We've appealed this to the 11th Circuit. Uh, you, you, you are a fucking idiot, by the way. Uh, but we're not going to embarrass you before the full 11th Circuit if... What you'll do is stay the effect of your order with respect to only the hundred or so documents bearing classification markings. And the reason we're cabining it to that tiny little area is because there is absolutely no way that there's any entitlement of Trump to want to have a special master review Documents that are already bearing a security classification document. So by definition, they're not his personal property and they're not attorney client privileged communications. 
So kind of like in Back to the Future when they had two <laughs> two parallel timelines yes, going yes. on. We are now in one. This whole thing with so the interlocutory full giant massive appeal on all right. of her bullshit is down here in the bottom timeline. Right. Now we're up here talking about let's try to narrowly stay this step by step. So the appeal that they are you saying the appeal that they just made to the 11th circuit is not the full appeal. It is in response to this tiny deny of the motion to stay. It, it, it so it, so yes with an asterisk, right? What, mm -hmm. what it course. is, is I mean, of course, because I'm a lawyer, right? So this is a motion for a partial stay pending appeal, and 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 so what happened was, right? We we talked about. I love the idea of using the two branching timelines <laughs> from from Back to the Future Two to help understand it. The interlocutory appeal is everything, right? But as you point out, because that's on the merits. That ultimately will never matter, right? Like all we care about right now is what's going to happen in the next 30 to 90 days, right? So then the DOJ asked Judge Cannon, stay this tiny effect of your order and we'll be fine, right? Then we'll comply. We'll have the special master, you know, do whatever dumb special mastery thing you think they're going to do. Uh, but <laughs> as long as you don't slow down the... Uh, ODNI, a, a, a national security assessment of the most important documents and the intertwined criminal investigation as a result of those times, then we don't give a shit. Fine. And also, Go we're nuts. not going to show this stuff to Corcoran. Right, yeah. He, and, and, he doesn't and, get to see. Yeah. We're going to yeah, we're going to get to that. Too. Yeah. Obviously. And, and maybe even Kai's, who was found to be a yep. foreign agent for Maduro. But they say that Shocker. they spell what you're talking about, talking about the two different timelines, if you will. Uh, on the very first page yep. uh, of what they submitted, they say, although the government believes the district court fundamentally erred in appointing a special master and granting injunctive relief, that's everything else. Right. The government just seeks to stay only the portions of the order causing the most serious and immediate harm to the government and the public by one, restricting the government's review and use of records two requiring the government disclose those records for special master review process, which includes showing it to the attorneys of Donald Trump. This court should grant that modest but critically important relief for three reasons. And then they go through yep. the reasons. So they bring it up that they say, right. this is our tiny little stay for now. We have a whole interlocutory thing later because we're going to fight this till the end because special master for fucking <laughs> people who don't deserve special masters is a stupid precedent to set. And 11th Circuit shouldn't set it. Right. And, and, and we're going to get to that. So, well, part of what I was waiting for as a lawyer on Friday was the question, how much were they going to ask the 11th Circuit to do? Were they going to ask the 11th Circuit? Because, right, you know, you asked them for a stay. Judge Cannon said, nope, I'm not even going to grant you this stay. And that's part of what was so ridiculous and egregious about her order, which we've talked about. Now, on Friday, the DOJ made the decision to again, only ask for that tiny little area of relief. And we've talked about one area in which it paid off already, which was um, they got the court to say, hey, response to this is due noon on Tuesday, people. And 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 by the way, um, as somebody who has argued for TROs, you know, and, and emergency injunctive relief, that's common, right? It is because you need it immediately. Yet you, you got to have the lawyers have a little bit of time to like gather their evidence and write their stuff. But it's very, very common to to file a motion for a TRO on a Tuesday and have the judge call you up Tuesday afternoon and go, "All right, uh, uh, you know, defendant will file their response on Wednesday, uh, and uh, you know, we'll we'll hold a hearing uh, uh, you know, Thursday at eight a.m." That's happened to me all the time. So. Normal timeline, but but good, right, to have a normal timeline here of of expediting the thing. The second aspect that I think underlies this is, is again, remember, the 11th Circuit is seven to four Trump appointees, including some potential obvious hacks, um, making the relief as narrow as possible here really puts the 11th Circuit in, in, in a hard place, right? Um, so Yeah, well, they're also very, 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 you know, uh, power the executive and yep. uh, the singular executive and the executive branch power. And you, and this is a case about the executive branch being being barred from looking at their own fucking shit. I, so yeah, that could come back to, to bite you in the ass. Absolutely. It, it, Probably will. And the, and the Supreme Court, we know, is 100 percent on deciding against Donald for any sort of privilege or whatever the fuck. So it it seems bad. 
but but this quick response uh, and the fact that they are super about the executive wielding supreme power, who is Biden right now, and they recognize that. Yep. Uh, might uh, come back to bite them big time in the ass. Um, so that's that's where we're at. Uh, and then I think that Deary made an appointment for everybody to come in at 10 a.m. on Tuesday. Uh, and he he might actually solve this whole thing by saying, today I'm going through these hundred documents and coming out and saying these are all classified uh, and reporting right back to. But the problem is Judge Cannon has left it open for herself to have the final say in whatever the special master comes up with, review the shit herself if she wants, hand it all over to the Trump lawyers, and even replace Deary as a special master if she so decides. Uh, all of that is correct. All eyes are going to be on, on Judge Deary. And I have said I have zero evidence other than folks have said, you know, he's old and slow. And so, you know, that that seems to be in line with the Trump M.O. And what I have said is you know, this. He's been a judge in Manhattan and then was in the Manhattan. Uh, he was a prosecutor in Manhattan prior to like he's crossed paths with Donald Trump a lot over the past four decades. And so. That makes me nervous when they came out and requested him as a special master. I have no other evidence other than he makes me nervous. So uh, eyes are going to be on Deary to see what he does. As you point out, he could completely obviate all of this. Um, but but that, that ties into the point that I have sent you here on my notes that says, don't freak out. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and let me make that, let me kind of tie that together with the like, C point of, you know, what, what, what comes next that's at the bottom as well. So I, I, I want our listeners to understand, um, Allison, you and I live this stuff, right? We, we read and eat and, and breathe legal documents for a living. <laughs> you more so than any non-lawyer I have ever met. My, my Friday night is spent refreshing it, it, Pacer and trying yeah, to... Yeah, yeah, like that's... We're not normal. We're deeply, that's deeply fun to weird me. individuals. That's yeah. fucking fun to me. Right. And, and especially when I get to read shit, Ugh. like, first of all, I just have to tell you before we even get mm. into the weeds, my favorite line in this whole filing... <laughs> Please share. Which I'm sure you know what it is, but when they say the court aired... In granting extraordinary relief based on unsubstantiated possibilities. <laughs> That's I, just the best. I, I I love that. I quoted a few bits where it feels like maybe someone at the DOJ is listening to opening arguments and clean up on all 45. I don't know. Uh, but, uh, they, you know, they've sort of finally seized on some of the things that feel like minor points, but nevertheless are indicative of just how ridiculous this filing is. So. Yeah, because I mean that because when I when I read something like that, I speak court now. Right. I, mm -hmm. I speak filing. And when you say the court aired granting extraordinary relief based on unsubstantiated possibilities, that's like you bought a fucking Ferrari for your imaginary friend. Yeah, it's a way of saying you uh, did not. The government filed zero affidavits, no evidence below and i've been making this point on twitter to you know somebody who sort of wanted to play devil's advocate and it was great like cool bring your best arguments here but but at the end of the day if you're a lawyer in practice and the other side gets an injunction without ever having to put any evidence in the record whatsoever you would go nuts it, yeah, it, it she, doesn't she came happen. up with their arguments for them. She, and, and, and again, and attorney argument is not evidence. That's the thing. I can argue whatever the hell I want in pleadings. And yes, I'm subject to Rule 11 sanctions or whatever. But that's not the same as making somebody fill out a fucking affidavit and testify under penalty of perjury that what they've attested to is true. Because yeah. if I say something that's false, that's fine. OK, I, I, I can't deliberately and knowingly put in the court, right yeah. but i can say something it can turn out to be false i can turn out to have known it was false at the time and that's permissible within the space of attorney argument you want to come you know try and uh, prosecute a, a lawyer for perjury like no that's never going to happen so the difference between what you know fucking evan the cork wants to argue in court Versus what you can get a witness to testify is the truth based on their knowledge and belief are, are, are two different things. And you do not. Again, I will tell you as a lawyer who gets and loses injunctive relief all the time, you know, relatively speaking, I have never seen 
it is not conceivable to me that a court could grant an injunction on the basis of no evidence below. That's that's, I think, part of the reason for the speculation. So, yeah, so well, well, Cannon basically said, yeah. and I got to quote Mitch Hedberg here. She was like, <laughs> you're right, man. Rick's been acting fishy. Yeah, like, that's it. Yeah. Based on nothing. And <sighs> it's, yeah, it's absolutely yeah. Uh, it's absolutely mind blowing. So, uh, I, so I don't want to lose. I don't no, no, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt, but I don't want to lose that that big point of don't freak out because I feel like I said don't freak out. And then you and I both freaked out. Right. And I started swearing. And uh, it, here's, the, <laughs> here's the thing. OK. It offends me as a lawyer. It offends you as a legal expert and a student of history to watch this travesty of justice take place. But I want to tell our listeners, this is not of the same order as when Donald Trump was goddamn president and could stop investigations, order the DOJ to, to drop prosecutions, all of that stuff. He's not the president. He's not in power. And this will not stop the DOJ from indicting Donald Trump. It won't. So we're we're rightfully agitated about it. We're rightfully concerned about the corruption of district courts and Federalist Society weirdos and circuit courts who seem to be bending over backwards to allow these Federalist Society and the Supreme Court, which is, you know, stacked with five absolute monsters like, yes. That's our job. But I want to I want you to put that in perspective. Right. The more the system seems to be broken, the more the prosecutors whose job it is to defend the rule of law are going to look at it and be like, oh, oh, oh you're going to get your handpicked judge to come in and stop us for three months. Great. Right. Like that's not going to incline them less towards prosecuting his ass. So, right. And so that's sort of <laughs> and that's sort of why in this uh, filing of the 11th Circuit came down uh, just a couple days ago is that they didn't get into the Richie stuff. They didn't get into, <laughs> you know, um, even though, the, you know, they mention it, they say they even conceded that this the, the number one main thing in Richie with the most weight is that you have to have, you know, interfered with somebody's constitutional rights. And they ceded that that never happened. And you said, I think, I've never seen a Richie case that didn't have that, 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 that like that that wasn't the main argument. Um, but so I, I, I need I need to say, having said that, there are 137 cases that cite Richie for anomalous jurisdiction. I have now read all 137. I have found one uh, in, in which uh, the, the court uh, said at the trial court level that there was a there was uh, maybe not a full callous disregard for constitutional rights, but there was the potential if delay continued and uh, they had also shown irreparable harm. So we're going to allow and balance of the equities. Right. And and by the way, that's the magic, a case called Singh, by the way. Yeah. The magic fucking word you just said there was anomalous jurisdiction. I just wanted to toss yep. that out there because that's not what we have here. Uh, at least it was never once argued. And she just went ahead and said it was equitable jurisdiction, even though you can't have equitable jurisdiction over inequitable acts, which the DOJ brings up in this filing. And another one and, of my favorite lines from 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 this. So, I, but, well, I but love what that. <laughs> I, but what I noticed was that they they just go on the the main elements for a stay. Yep. Right. And that's that's how they they go through this. And and, and that's the, those are the things they cover. We're just looking for a stay here. Yeah, that's it. We don't need to persuade you. The way we have persuaded, you know, 80 percent of law Twitter that is not in the bag for for Donald Trump and 60 percent of the American public, you know, that Judge Cannon is a Federalist Society weirdo and hack who's in the tank for Trump. We don't need to bear that burden. We don't need to prove that here. What we need to show is the typical three prongs that a, a petitioner shows to get equitable relief from the courts. That is number one likelihood of success on the merits. Yeah, we're, we're ultimately, whether we get there or not, we have the better of the argument. Number two, irreparable harm, right? If you allow them to go forward with their bad argument, then something that then it, it will be impossible to remedy the harm that's caused by that. And, and remedy, by the way, in the courts means money. OK, that's all remedy means. So if your harm is economic, then that the court's like, yeah, great. Um, that's a that's that's a thing that is reparable. How do we repair it? At the end of the day, I add on more money to your verdict. Mm -hmm. But if the thing is taking a criminal investigation and stopping it in its tracks for three months, 
that's not a kind of thing that you can fix with money, right? That is a, a legitimate ongoing harm to the executive branch that is considered irreparable, right? Yeah. I, 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 and, and something <laughs> they argued on multiple occasions mm-hmm. in past filings is, look, these are inextricably linked. Yep. The, in, the, the risk assessment from the intelligence community and the criminal assessment are, or the criminal investigation are inextricably linked. Like, and then they gave an example. Uh, let's look at those 43 empty folders. You know, finding out where they went is, it's a, it's a risk assessment and a criminal investigation at the same time. You can't separate them out. You can't bifurcate them. Of course, Judge Cannon said, oh, well, you know, sure you can. And, but, you know, you were just using vague hypotheticals. And it's like they used the fucking 43 folder example that is not vague that is specifically something that happened in this case <laughs> uh which blew me away but national security says so they're they're intertwined they can't be bifurcated and then you know to go on to say look we even had Kohler who is the fucking assistant director of counterintelligence the FBI write you a big long letter and say this is going to cause great harm it is inextricably linked let me tell you how the FBI works and the judge is like no i think i know better than uh, than what you're saying. I don't believe you, uh, and so no. It was just the most. It was the most bizarre thing I ever saw. So that's all part of. Am I correct? <laughs> it, the irreparable harm. Exactly right. Yeah. Exactly okay. right. And we're and we'll you know delve into that in a little bit more detail. Although oh, and giving had, it, and giving classified documents to Corcoran. Yeah, giving <laughs> as as they point out, giving classified documents to the judge is considered disfavored. Right. Like this is. I, I just and I know this is kind of hard for, you know, our left leaning audience that is not accustomed, you know, that is, that is accustomed to being skeptical of, you know, the Department of the Defense and the military industrial complex and like over classification of materials. And like I grew up, you know, with the, the generation of lawyers who lionized the, the Pentagon Papers decision. And that was you know, bullshit. Uh, we're not releasing this. We're claiming, you know, confidentiality and privilege because, you know, it makes us look bad. Um, so I get all that. But but remember, like that, that there is still actual national security. Right? Yeah. Well, and the whole uh, the whole thing behind the counterintelligence department <laughs> unit at, at the Department of Justice and the uh, Pentagon is when they bring cases, they decide what the Goldilocks documents are stuff that can get out in discovery, stuff that they don't mind if a judge sees or other lawyers see and use those to prosecute. They don't put out, for example, uh, you know, our ally and or enemies nuclear readiness documents to put forward in, in court so that somebody like Eileen Cannon can can see them or or Corcoran. So it's it's th- those documents never even really make it into the main show after charges have been filed. We're in a fucking civil suit right it, now. It, 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 it's 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 beyond insane. I, and I want to add on top of that that uh, I I have read uh, law review articles and uh, companion literature, national security literature, um, that explains sort of the data mining that I know that this was Al-Qaeda, right? So this was data mining that terrorists do. And there is no doubt in my mind that our geostrategic enemies like Russia also do this. I can't tell you I have read a Russia-specific article, but I've read an Al-Qaeda-specific article. And one of the things you can do now that like, you know, IBM 386 technology is 30 years old. You can get it on a dumpster, right? Like, and so what you can do is you can take, like, we sneer at it because, you know, the iPhone has 50,000 times the capacity. Uh, don't, don't, don't at me, computer people. Okay. But like it, it, we, we don't need the 386 anymore. Our computers are like millions of times more whatever, but you can still do large scale data mining with obsolete technology. And so one of the things that Al Qaeda does is they they set up uh, this data mining to cross check between incidental information in classified materials that is leaked with stuff they're not sure about. Right. So in other words, if something says you know, and it seems totally normal to us. And, you know, this was one of 803 weapons shipped in 1987, right? And you look at it and you're like, okay, well, uh, that's 35 years ago. Those weapons have all, they're gone by now. But if they had a piece of intel that was an 807 
page, ro- you know, roster of, of well, this now that cross validates it. Right. And so that's what the data mining does. It allows you to place a higher level of confidence on stuff that you're not sure whether it's true because you now have something that you have a very high level of confidence about because you've gotten it directly from a compromised intelligence source. So I'm oversimplifying, but like, yeah, it's that like, don't let your skepticism of, you know, the military and, and prior practices lead you away from like, this is, this, this, this is, and can be real stuff that, you know, really benefits our geostrategic enemies. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, like you said, you've done all that reading. So <laughs> it's not it's not just, you know, coming out of the blue here. Um, so I, 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 what I would like to do here, mm. Andrew, if we could, is take a quick break. All right. Uh, and uh, we'll be right back, everybody. Uh, and we have some more patrons to thank when we return. And uh, I'll just thank you right now with my, with my face. Uh, just absolutely couldn't do this show without <laughs> you. Uh, so we are going to take a quick break. We will be right back. Uh, stick around. And uh, yeah, we have we have a lot, a little bit more to cover on this on this filing because I want to kind of get into some of your favorite quotes. Sound good? Absolutely. All right, everybody, stay with us. Everybody, welcome back. Uh, we have another list of some amazing patrons to thank. Do we not, Andrew? We do indeed. A big thank you to Lottie, Christopher Morton, DC, Jory Nicholson, Snaz, Cielo, Anna Schroth, Holly Howery Coaching. That is HoweryCoaching.com. H-O-W-E-R-Y-C-O-A-C-H-I-N-G.com. And yes, we'll, we'll read a little ad here if you make it your patron name. Miriam Stark, Lucian Blakemore, Michael Potter, Karen Sherman, Jason Shaw, Glass City Fish Witch. Love it. <laughs> Laura Kessler, Amanda Severeld, Brefni Kehoe, Incomplete Sentience. <laughs> Seriously, oh, nice. though, live show in Minneapolis. All right, well, I, you know, keep, get, keep coming on to all the shows and lobbying for it. We, we'll get closer. Daniel Felsenfeld, Jeffrey Kincher, Pete Evers, Kurt Reinbolt. Paul Weaker, Phil Doherty, Rochesterian, patiently waiting for a live show. Thank you. The the odds of us doing any of these shows live in Rochester, New York, have just gone up considerably. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Aaron C. Melissa Smith, Joseph Capshaw, Kathy Lynn, Kate Stratton, DKR, Kelly Walsh, Mary Riley, Molly Tower, J Mac, Sparkles teaches fascism. <laughs> A mediocre transbian polycule. I, I, I think you're underestimating all of yourselves there. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. keep it keep it going. Zach, Sylvia, Benjamin Crom, BackdropBooks.com wants Andrew and AG to post pictures of their bookshelves so we can discover what weird things they've read. I, I, yeah. I might be game for that. Yeah. Uh, come to a uh, patron hangout. At 410 Sean. I don't know if that's the uh, 410 area code in uh, Baltimore, but uh, at 410 Sean. Virpi Canervo, Laura Shaw, Dwayne Northey, Mark, Michael W. Klein, Ryan Padberg, Joachim Hanavag, and I greatly apologize if I have mangled that, and Jeffrey Zhang. Thank you all so much. We've thanked you, and uh, you know it is as heartfelt as as AG has said. Uh, couldn't couldn't do the show without you. All right, all right. So before we get into next steps, I want to just ask you mm. about your favorite parts of this filing, and I think one great place we can start is just the opening sentence, right? <laughs> because they pack so much in here, and they and they and they say this over and over again. When and I'll tell you what I mean. They open saying the district court. That's Canon yep. has entered an unprecedented order in joining the executive branch's use of its own highly classified records in a criminal investigation with direct implications for national security, period. And over and over again, they mention the executive branch's use of its own shit. And I yep. think that that is tailored for this 11th Circuit who thinks there's a supreme executive, uh, you know, which we often argue against. And it's also tailored to this Supreme Court if it gets there. I find that very, very shrewd. I, I, I agree. You have to go sort of looking through for, you know, the arguments to play to the folks who, you know, aren't already convinced. And and again, this this could be a very, very heavy lift. So I think that's really smart. My favorite part <laughs> Uh, and the part that led me to believe that maybe somebody at the DOJ is listening to the show uh, comes a uh, paragraph three at the bottom of page 11 uh, in which uh, the DOJ finally notes in a pleading. Thank you. 
Plaintiff has observed that the Presidential Records Act generally provides that presidential records from his tenure shall mm-hmm. be, quote, available <laughs> to him, 44 U.S.C. Section 22053. But a right to access records in Naira's custody does not support the claim for the return of records owned by the government, see Section so 2202. And I, I have been making that with the analogy of, like, I, I could go down to the National Archives right now and access the original copy of the Constitution. I can't walk off with it. It's just yeah, such and then an lie about point. having yeah. it. Right. And then be like, I don't have it. I don't know what you're talking about. And, and with, then they with continue. With the giant <laughs> Constitution sticking out from behind your back right. and yeah. video surveillance cameras of you having it. I don't know. What, I don't even know what you're talking about. You can see that there. Yeah, and plaintiff is in any event poorly positioned to invoke the Presidential Records Act in seeking extraordinary equitable relief. Because he failed to comply with his PRA obligation to deposit the records at issue in Nara in the first place. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't that tie back into the you cannot have equitable jurisdiction for inequitable acts? One hundred percent. I'm so glad because that is still that still sticks in my head. And it's still, you know, that whole I told you about the America's dumbest criminal lady who wanted to get her money back for some crack dealer who stole like took her money and ran off and didn't give her the crack. And she tried to flag down cops to help her. <laughs> and, and that's what this is. I, and, you know, we laugh. But that's what the, let me do a little Joe Biden here. I'm kidding. I'm serious. No malarkey. That's what this fucking is. That is trying to get equitable jurisdiction or equitable relief over some fucking law that you broke. It doesn't work that way. And I believe they also, in in subsequent paragraphs, talk about, uh, by the way, I like where they say uh, the PRA in seeking extraordinary equitable relief. They keep sticking that extraordinary in there because that's the language that is required, one of the three elements, right? Um to get that kind of uh, a relief, uh, the the special master relief, uh, is extraordinary circumstances. So they keep using that word and just throwing it in there every t- chance they get, which I love. But also, they fully go into and talk about jurisdiction and standing, even though they're not. That's not really part of this stay. Am I right? So you are correct. The reason they do that is to demonstrate, and I count at least five really good arguments in support of the likelihood of success on the merits prong, right? And and remember, the greater part of how these balancing tests work is the more you have of one factor, the less you need of the other factors, right? So if something is absolutely overwhelmingly likely to cause you irreparable harm, I, I there are courts that have said you, you need to have, you know, uh, some showing of a likelihood of success on the merits, but they reduce, even if it's a close question, right? Courts will grant injunctive relief just because of the way that the equities play in there. Similarly, the more you show this is just a frivolous, stupid argument, the less harm there is in granting the relief right away. Cause look that this relief is going to get overturned eventually anyway. Mm-hmm. Now mm-hmm. I think, no, they- <laughs> I want to go back and forth with favorite quotes. Hmm. So let me know when you're ready for my the next one. I am ready for yours. Lay it on me. Okay. Uh, executive privilege exists not for the benefit of the president as an individual, but for the benefit of the republic, quoting Nixon v. GSA. I love that. Which, which page are you on for that? Uh, it's, it's paragraph one right before your paragraph three oh, that yeah, you just yeah. read. They say, uh, consistent with the privileges function of protecting the confidentiality of executive branch communications, it may be invoked to prevent the sharing of materials outside the executive branch. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but neither plaintiff nor the district court cited any case in which executive privilege has been successfully invoked to prohibit the sharing of documents within the executive branch itself. Not one case citation. Uh, I like that one. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I don't know what I can add to that other than I, I have talked about some of the indicia of irregularity around this entire case. Right. And, and maybe now is not a bad time to kind of remind people in an ordinary world. Right. Like, let's suppose. Right. A, a the, the FBI uh, surveils my house. The DOJ goes to a federal magistrate judge. Let's call him Bruce Reinhardt. I'm just picking that name out of the hat. Uh, <laughs> and then he signs off on a search warrant. He says, yes, I am convinced on the basis of the affidavit 
uh, and the uh, testimony and evidence attached thereto that there is probable cause to believe that there is fruits or instrumentality of a crime. Uh, yeah. At- oh, and by the way, this is the ex-president's house, so I'm really fucking sure. Yeah. Uh, but but it's mine. I'm not. I get no extra deference. Let's say I get the extra deference as being, you know, co-host of Clean Up on Aisle 45. And we're going to execute a search warrant at Andrew Torres's house. And they do that and they execute the search warrant and they send out a taint team to make sure they don't take any attorney client documents. Right. Um, and and they take a whole bunch of my personal stuff. Right. Like I have a lot of transformers in my office and they throw them all in the box. Um do you know what my recourse for getting the Transformers back is? It's to sit and fucking wait. Okay. Yeah, don't you have to be charged with a crime before be- you can file a Rule 41? Uh, that is exactly right. And so either the government is going to... And this is what happens in thousands of cases. Right? Like uh, This is... This is all the, the way cases. In which this is what happens yeah. in all the fucking cases. Right. So... I write a nasty letter to the government. I say, you stole my Transformers. I have the like sound wave. And they're like, look, man, um, we think your Transformers are intermingled with the evidence that we need to prove the crimes that were listed in the search warrant affidavit. So wait, are you saying with regards to your Transformers, there's more than meets the eye? Nice. Nice. I was just wondering. Yep. Just wondering. And they say, look, we're either going to indict you or we're not. If we that, indict you. That is one of the Richie factors, I think, more than meets the eye. There has it, to be. <laughs> uh, uh, either, right, we're either going to indict you if we, or, or we're not. If if we do, you can file a Rule 41G motion when the time is appropriate and get your goddamn toys back. Yeah, and, we're not talking about a civil suit here. We, we're talk, we need Optimus right. Crime. Right. <laughs> for this to happen i'm just gonna keep going I, I, if you no let no me. please please do i did they i've set it up on a tee for you so so, <laughs> so keep swinging away or we're not gonna indict you right at which point when we've made a decision a declination decision we'll give you all your stuff back but either way sit fucking tight and too bad you don't get any transformers you know why you don't get any transformers because there's real good evidence that you committed crime and that evidence was next to a bunch of transformers and since time immemorial we have considered your right to have the stuff you like is slightly outweighed by our interest in prosecuting you for crimes you've committed and yeah, especially since your transformers are evidence of a crime right. if, if your transformers are intermingled with whatever the fuck you stole oh my God. Uh, I mean, we could go on for yeah, days. Yeah. So that's what would happen. Now, equitable anomalous jurisdiction that we've been talking about occurs when a very weird situation happens that everybody agrees has not happened here. And that is, okay, I get that response back and I'm like, okay, fine, whatever. And I go away. And then let's say two years pass and the government doesn't issue a declination decision. They don't indict me. They don't do anything. They just hold on to my goddamn Transformers because, I, I don't know, that the, you know, head FBI guy likes playing with Soundwave. I don't know. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And then I send back a letter and I'm like, hey, man, um, I, I kind of like my Transformers back. And they're like, nope. Uh, we You know, we're, we're still thinking about things. Mm-hmm. And at that point, right, I can't file a 41G motion because they haven't indicted me. Right. I so this is a civil 53 something or other. Right? right. I can't move for civil <laughs> relief yet because there's no proceedings. Right. So what I would do is I would file a civil suit. Uh, I would bring the equivalent of a section 1983 action. It's called a Bivens. Action. Bivens. Oh, this right. is Bivens in 65. Right? Yeah, this is yeah. That's exactly right. And I would request under federal rules of civil procedure 65 uh, injunctive relief that says, hey, man, like this has gone on long enough. You held on to my Transformers for two years. You, you you won't allow me to get them back. Uh, you're still jerking me around. I want the court to order them to give them back. And yeah, we're, we're maybe we're past a statute of limitations on whatever crime was on the search warrant. The way uh, in which and that's exactly right. That's, I'm, I'm so glad you said that. The way in which we get there. And, 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 and so this is this is the key to understanding those two things. Right. The. The way in which we get there is that's that first Richie factor of callous disregard for your constitutional rights, right? In other words, you got to look at something and say, hey, in the ordinary course, things would have gone X way and things would be fine. But because the government is specifically dicking around with Andrew Torres's Transformers, he's he's in this he's stuck in this neutral zone, right, where he can't 
move under 41G because they won't prosecute him. But he can't bring a lawsuit that says he's been unfairly prosecuted because, right, the, the prosecutorial discretion. So kind of reminds me of uh, Durham holding potential charges over Joffe's head to yeah, get him it, to have to plead the fifth. Right. That's right. That's right. And so if that were if that were held out long enough, right, such that you showed a callous disregard for an individual's constitutional rights, then courts have said, right, dating back to the 1970s, hey, um, we're going to create this imaginary thing. We got to understand it's totally imaginary. We're even going to call it anomalous, right? Like it, it's it is. Yes, the court shouldn't have the power to do something, but because you have no other choice. And in fact, that is Factor four, we're going to let the court come in and do a thing here if we think things are so far off the rails that um, your constitutional rights are at stake and there's nothing to do. And And the judge might even say, bring the Transformers in camera. Let me see them. Make sure that they don't have crimes attached to them. You've tested the little drawer to make sure there's no drugs in it, right? (laughs) Like it's you had it for two years, right? Like it's it's the inferences are all gone at that point. And 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 I just I cannot believe I have to keep coming back to this because it's still I think the DOJ has made it clear to the 11th Circuit but it's hard to to realize when you know you're just sort of reading these complex legal pleadings out of nowhere nobody has argued and not even Judge Cannon has said that there is that first Richie factor, the callous disregard of constitutional rights. She actually conceded it. She said, she said, there's there's none, uh, none yet so far. And, right? and like, Jim Trustee even said, or was it Kaiser who Corcoran? They were like, we don't meet that one. Right. That we don't argue that we're not arguing that the most important one. You need arguing. an inequity to justify equitable relief. So I it, it yeah. Anyway, um, that was not a a competing quote but i thought kind of bringing that all together again i apologize to our listeners who were on top of it but uh i i i think it it makes sense because it's easy to get kind of stuck in the weeds on the minutiae of you know these various elements but but this whole thing is just manufactured out of nothing and as you point out right now you have slizardo over here enrique tario going well i should get a special master because because i'm associated with oh, like, stuart rose it stuart was rose, stuart, right, yeah, yeah. yeah i bet yeah 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 yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. well no I, and, and of course judge, judge meadow was like get the fuck out yeah. just sit down it's your jury selection starts monday yeah weirdo um <laughs> which is what a, which is what a normal judge would do do you have any uh, uh, other favorite quotes here Ooh. I got a couple. Oh, yeah. Why don't you hit, hit me with your next one? All right. So this one here. Finally, plaintiff declined to assert executive privilege when his custodian was served with a grand jury subpoena seeking any and all documents or writings <laughs> in his custody bearing classification markings. And they make it clear they aren't saying classified documents. They are saying documents bearing classified markings. That's a, that's a distinction that I think is important. Instead, plaintiff's counsel produces a set of classified records to the government and plaintiff custodian certified uh, any and all responsive documents have been produced after diligent search. Now the government has discovered more than 100 additional responsive records. Plaintiff cannot claim those records are shielded from review by a privilege that he failed to assert at the appropriate time, basically contending the appropriate time to assert privilege was when we subpoenaed them. And then you handed them over without asserting any kind of privilege. You kind of have that ship has sort of sort of sailed at that point, especially with the declassification claims. But here, more specifically toward this stay, at a, you know, claimant of executive privilege and you need a special master to review for executive privilege, which rarely happens anyway, to say, hey, when we subpoenaed this shit and you handed us a red weld envelope with taped up because it's fucking classified and didn't say hey, executive privilege, you can't have these. Uh, too late, too little too late. Yeah, and and I think building on that, uh, my I, I'm going to read this one from the bottom of page 18. So this is uh, discussing how the scope of the court's injunction prevents the DOJ from using the content of just those 100 documents, right, to conduct witness interviews and additional investigations. And the the DOJ notes, the injunction would prohibit the government from using any aspect of the seized records contents to support the use of compulsory process, right? I.e. the issuance of additional subpoenas or search warrants to locate any additional records. Then over to page 19, and I love the sort of draw wit here. 
disregarding a sworn declaration from a senior FBI official, you mentioned uh-huh. that earlier, uh-huh. Cole, mm-hmm. the court dismissed such concerns as hypothetical scenarios and faulted the government for not identifying an emergency or an imminent disclosure of classified information. But the record makes clear that the materials were stored in an insecure manner over a prolonged period, and the court's injunction itself prevents the government from even beginning to take the necessary steps to determine whether improper disclosures might have occurred or may still occur. Um, Mm -hmm. Really, really good argument there. (laughs) Here's a good one. Here's a good one. In any event, which they say that a a lot and I like it. In any event... Even if Trump had asserted in court that he declassified the records, the government would still need to review those records to assess his claim. And they would still have been responsive to the grand jury subpoena for all records, quote, bearing classification markings, unquote. See, emphasis added. Yep. Any assertion of executive privilege would thus plainly be overcome under U.S. v. Nixon because the government would still need to assess the records in investigating possible violations of 793 and 1519. And if the records had actually been declassified, the government would have an additional compelling need to understand what had been declassified (laughs) and why and who has seen it to protect intelligence sources and methods. So you keep digging into this idea that you perhaps you've declassified dogs, by the way, which they say they never actually said. Right, which you know, they, they haven't. <laughs> uh, you know, but even if you had, even if that's your argument, we still need access to these records to assess the fucking claim that you'd classified them to see if what's in them is classified and to see if you gave it to anybody or if they were compromised. And uh, I believe in an earlier filing, Empty Wheel pointed out, Hey, this is a lot like the fuck case where, Mm. uh, you know, hey, those documents were compromised. National security was compromised the minute they left D.C., you know, the minute they left a skiff, the minute they left a lockbox. They've been in Mar-a-Lago for 18 months, you know. Uh, the the fake Rothschild doesn't have to show up and and take them and send photos over to Putin for this to be a compromised situation. The fact that they were in an unsecure, non-skiff location, uh, that it in its and of itself makes these documents compromised, and we have to assess their classification levels, whether you declassified them or not, to make that determination. That's a within the executive branch thing. Uh, it, it's just they're. Every single argument is cut off at the past. There's no way out of this uh, yep. except through vague, you know, Rick's been acting fishy claims. It just makes no sense. <laughs> and with that in mind, I'm going to I'm going to take an argument. Uh, my last one. Uh, this is an argument that the DOJ elevated out of a footnote in its response brief to sort of make the main brief here, because I think they realized it's a really, really good point uh, and it is related. So you talked about how Trump has suggested that he's, well, I declassified a standing declassification order. I Never minding that, no, you didn't. You didn't behave in that. All the stuff that you just read. Uh, bottom of page 16. Similarly, plaintiff only weakens his case by suggesting that he might have purported to categorize these records as, quote, personal records under the Presidential Records Act. Such a categorization would be flatly inconsistent with the statute, which defines personal records as those, quote, of a purely private or non-public character which do not relate to the president's official duties. That's 2201 subsection 3. And if plaintiff truly means to assert implausibly, that the records containing sensitive national security information fit that description, he cannot maintain that those same records are protected by executive privilege, i.e. that they are presidential communications made in furtherance of the performance of his official duties. Yeah, so either they're personal records or they can't be both. They're either personal records or they're they're presidential or they belong to the government. And... You aren't even really making that assertion, although I have a feeling we might hear a little bit more about these personal handwritten notes on documents with classification markings. Uh, I I think we might hear a defense from uh, Kai's and Trusty to say, well, he wrote on them. That makes them his personal records. (laughs) Watch. I I bet. I bet you anything. But this is, I think, a good sort of way to draw to a close, and it's why I, I know... I like to focus on the minutia. I like to focus on the little details. 
But it's why those details matter, because forcing them to put that in an affidavit at least gives you a target to which you can respond, right? If they come out and claim these are personal records because he scribbled on them with that stupid magic marker of his, then you can respond to that. Lawyers can say, um, stupid magic marker is not a basis for eliminating records from official, right? But the problem that, that we got here with was we had nothing but vague insinuations of, well, you know, the FBI is kind of suspicious and they've always hated me, Donald and they Trump, leaked. personally. They, they might have leaked this and Peter Strzok and evidence. Lisa Page yeah. and, and that kind Kind of, this is why we've been on this for weeks, right? Like that kind of bullshit has no place in a courtroom. And the fact that they were able to come in with vague allegations and zero evidence, zero affidavits under oath, under penalty of perjury, and get injunctive relief, get everything they ever wanted. Without even picking up on the hints that she was dropping yeah. about anomalous jurisdiction and about... You know, she had to make their argument for them, which was still a bullshit argument. You yep. know what I mean? Like it was it's it was absolutely mind blowing. Yep. So that's why we care. I do want folks to go back to <laughs> what I said 50 Don't minutes ago. Freak. Don't freak out. out right? <laughs> it's our job to freak out. But at the end of the day, right, there is encouraging signs here, right? Yeah. If this drags out and the Democrats get destroyed in the midterms and. Uh, you know, Ron DeSantis or Donald Trump was elected in 2024. That would be a perfectly good time to panic. One of the ways we can make sure that doesn't happen is get out and vote, be organized, be donating to campaigns right now. Like, make sure that the Democrats don't lose the House or the Senate in these midterm elections. And I think we have, you know, it's, we got an uphill job in, in the House, but but numbers are trending in the right direction. So, you know, you can you can help the environment, uh, the political environment that we're in. And if you do that, then there's every reason to believe that, you know, the system is working. I noticed, by the way, you know, our trolls that we had from earlier in the year of the, you know, Merrick Garland is a secret member of the Federalist Society and he's never going to go after Trump. Uh, you know, that that uh, I noticed well, they've moved the goalposts. real quiet now. Well, they've, yeah, they've, <laughs> they've moved the goalposts. And then, of course, when it does happen, they'll say it, it's too late and everything that's wrong with this country is because of that. Uh, it's it's a it's an easy way to go uh, when you're trying to uh, get clicks and likes and eyes. Um uh, one last question for you, uh, my dear lawyer friend, before we go. Judge Deary, uh, we, we <laughs> talked about him a little bit earlier. Uh, he's from the FISA court, the FISC. Um, could he be conflicted because there may be FISA documents among these 100 classifieds? Um, and my, I ask this because I would think that I would like to think that when those two names were put forward, John Huck and uh, <laughs> Paul, Mr. Deary. Paul Huck. Paul oh, Huck. Paul. Whatever. Who the fuck? Whatever. Him, that guy, Jones Day, uh, and and Deary, Judge Deary, that the DOJ would have vetted both of those names to make sure, and they did with Huck, uh, and that's why they turned him down. But with regards to Deary, I would assume that they, they knew what was in the search warrant uh, as far as what classification markings to look for, they know and knew they've already gone through the documents that there's if there's a FISA application in there that maybe Deary was involved with, I would assume they would come forward and, and bring up that conflict of interest. But I was I'm a little concerned because they missed the fact that Kai's Chris Kai's uh, is registered as a foreign agent of Venezuela and the Maduro regime. And they didn't bring that up when they were talking about, we don't want Donald's lawyers to look at this because they could be witnesses. I, I assume they're only talking about Corcoran uh, because Bob is no longer on the team. Uh, and Corcoran is a fact witness in this case, in, especially in the obstruction case, because he's the one who drafted the, the certification letter. Uh, that that Bob the attestation that Bob signed and we just found out in a New York Times article that Bob actually changed the language to make it mess, less ironclad before she signed it. Oh, did 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 we? And this is Christina yeah. Bob, just to be yes, to be Christina clear, yeah. Bob, ex ex talking head on uh, uh, ONN. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, so yeah. What have we learned? So, oh yeah. 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 yeah so my so that's so that's my question is is what if there's a conflict with Deary? 
So it's or, a it's a good or question. Or should we wait to wait for it to come up? Yeah, you know? uh, it, it, it's a good question. Um, it is not something that has been contemplated, right? If if this, I, I think the way that I would answer it is this way. I contemplated it. Uh, I was going to say has does not appear to have been contemplated in any of the the pleadings that have been filed so far. Right. So, yes. <laughs> uh, uh, that is, of course, you have. Um, I think if this stay is granted by the 11th Circuit, and maybe I'm being overly optimistic, but I feel like it will be, right? I, I, I think unless we learn that the panel has two hardcore Trump hacks, and I only know of one, you know, complete buffoon on the 11th Circuit, uh, Paul Huck's wife, but um, <laughs> but there we go. Um, it, 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 I would, I would want to revisit at that point because uh, you know, that that would be uh, potentially disastrous. Um, so a stay will obviate the need for that conflict to come up. If not, um, if what you want to say is the DOJ either either because of its own temperament or because of the environment in which it finds itself right in front of a very conservative judge in a very conservative circuit has kind of bent over backwards to not call out. Uh, what what seems to be sort of obvious foul play by Trump's legal team. Um, it, it, it's not I, I would have drafted these pleadings very, very differently. I don't know that it would have made them better. Right. It would have made them more entertaining on Twitter. <laughs> uh, but, um, uh, you know, I certainly uh, would have cast I would because not because I enjoy making fun of Evan the cork and, you know, the gaggle of losers that, that Trump has with him, but because I want the court to be looking and thinking about it. And what we have here is kind of a one-way set of insinuations. And Judge Cannon's order 100% signs on to the like, you can't trust the government to classify national security documents. You got to trust the former president who's storing him in the pool shed. Like, <laughs> are you kidding me? But there you go. Yeah. And here we are. There you go. And here we are. And I think uh, today's episode will be called Optimus Crime. <laughs> That's okay with you. Um, and again, thanks to our patrons. Uh, super amazing. Uh, just all of the new patrons. Then follow us over on Twitter if you get a chance at aisle45pod, at aisle45pod. We'd love to have you follow over there. And uh, of course, you can check out Opening Arguments with Andrew and uh, The Daily Beans with me and Dana. And um, until what? Until next week, a week from now, are you going to be here, sir? I will be here. All right. I will be here as well. I will see you then, <laughs> my friend, because... By that time, we will know a little bit more about what Judge Deary is going to put forth as a schedule. Uh, and I think we'll know a little bit more if he's going to go for those 100 documents first, uh, even though he wasn't ordered to specifically. Um, or was he? I can't remember. Maybe maybe she said that uh, that the special master could, could look at those 100 first. She might have said that. And we'll also know a little bit more about what the 11th Circuit is, uh, is doing. I think it'll go very quickly uh, because it's such a narrow filing. I agree entirely, so can't wait for our next episode. But I thought this one was pretty good, too, so, you know. Yeah, yeah, no, it's about the journey, right? It's not, it's not about the next episode. It's about the one you're currently in. But it's great to see you, friend. We'll see you next week. Everybody, we'll see you next week on Clean Up on All 45. Clean Up on All 45 is written, researched, and produced by Allison Gill and Andrew Torres with editing by Molly Hockey. Our art and logo designer by Joelle Reeder and Moxie Design Studios, and our music is composed and performed by Adam Orr. Clean Up on Aisle 45 is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. <laughs>